Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. A playlist original. Just watch me. The medium is the message. Proof is a proof. What kind of proof? It's a proof. It has no core identity. Smashed potatoes are no gravy. You know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them. Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. And today on the podcast, we're picking up part two of Canadian First Ladies question mark. <laughs> we were talking about the spouse of the Prime Minister. Uh, last time where we left you, we were we were kind of rifling through the list of uh, these 19 special women. And we're going to pick up where we left off uh, and we're going to continue to talk kind of about the role generally and, you know, maybe what we would like to see from the role going forward. We're going to pick up with Maureen McTeer, um, a favorite of ours and hopefully of yours. She is the wife of Prime Minister Joe Clark, who was Prime Minister for a short time, but was, of course, the liberal leader uh, for a very long time and a, you know, a large figure in Canadian politics, despite his very short tenure uh, as Prime Minister. But, Libby, I just texted you a link. Did you see it? Yeah, I actually, I knew that she had gone to the same... (laughs) Yeah, I knew that she had gone to the same law school as us. Um, and I didn't know she was a teacher, and I didn't know that when I went to school there. Oh, I didn't know that she was a teacher either. I mean, is she a teacher or is she a member of the advisory committee? I don't know. It's still cool that she's there. No, it's very there. cool. It's, you know. <laughs> she was, I, I was talking about this last episode. She's someone who I was shocked was as young as she is now. Like she looks great. She looks amazing. Yeah. And I just like, I, I expected the wife of Joe Clark to look a little older, you know what I mean? Or be a little older. Well, um, Joe Clark at any age, I'm sorry. Like Joe Clark sounds like a very old person. Do you yeah. To- totally. Totally. I think that was also part of it. That's you know, the name of an old guy, but okay, I think Maureen McTeer is remarkable um, because she, She's a lawyer. Went to the same law school as you. Yeah. Uh, She's (laughs) an expert in health policy and health law. She's written books on law and medical ethics. She's, she's a law professor. Um, and she's probably the first named feminist spouse of of the prime minister who called herself a feminist. Okay. But we had a suffragette before her. I don't think she claimed feminism. Right. No, I know. But like, I'm just saying like her understand. Yeah, but her her understanding, like, fem- the, like, feminism changes over the years. So I don't think we can say that she's the first feminist. I you said know? first named. Oh, my God. Why are you pitting everyone against Maureen? I'm not. I just like Maureen. I, clearly. Maureen was also significant because, as you notice, she is not Maureen Clark. She is Maureen McTeer. She's the first spouse of the prime minister not to take her husband's name which was controversial at the time, I am told. And, you know, I think the narrative of their relationship, you know, beyond just the fact that she didn't take his name, but 
it was that they were, you know, our true equals. And she certainly says that, um, of her relationship with her husband. Uh, I have a quote from her. I would like to think that one of the things we demonstrated was that you could have equals living in a relationship and working it out. She said after Joe had retired from politics, I hope it's part of our legacy in terms of women's equality or people's equality. Mm -hmm. So can we get into this, um, the case of the strange surname morph in Canadian politics? What's the surname because, morph? So to to date, Maureen is the only Canadian first lady to have kept her own last name. And it's kind of interesting because she wasn't the only first lady not to change her last name after getting married. Because um, Laureen Harper, actually, as she is now known, didn't change her name after they got married. She kept her maiden name after their, they got married in 93. She kept her maiden name until her husband was elected prime minister. Um, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, she was known as Sophie Gregoire until her husband got into politics. It just seems when it's done after the fact, you know, regardless of why it's done, it just, yeah, it feels calculated. You know, I think Maureen, I would, I would wager that it's pretty common for female lawyers to, um, keep not to take a married name. Yeah. Because it's Maureen just is a lawyer because your you know, your name is attached to your decisions. Well, especially as, as a litigator, like it's how you get, it's like anything, it's how you get your name out there. So it's pretty common for, for, for lawyers. My, you know, my point is that it just, it feels like it was calculated. It feels like. It was probably decided by political strategists in Ottawa <laughs> and not hundred percent, you know, you're not a woman choosing how she wants to represent herself in light of her current situation. It's also just like, it's none of my business. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, like <laughs> you could do whatever you want. Like, I don't care if people change their name, keep their name, like whatever. But I think that there's obviously some clear political messaging here that's happening. There is a world in which Justin, Justin Trudeau's political advisors are telling her to change her name, you know? Next, we have Jill Turner, wife of, and now widow of John Turner. She's still alive. She's 83. Another, I'm sorry, but very impressive woman. She... When she studied science and math, she graduated from McGill with a degree in math and physics. She did um, her postgraduate work at Harvard. Um, she says she, you know, her story is she says she left the U.S. because she wanted to work in an investment firm but couldn't get a job as a woman at the time. She ends up uh, moving to Montreal where she works for IBM. And she met... John Turner while working on his first campaign. And it's, it's, uh, she's one of the first ladies who I think didn't really care for being in the spotlight. So it's very difficult to find like footage of her in the same way. And one thing that's also interesting about her is that her, she's the, the grandniece of, uh, John McRae, the author of the famous Canadian poem in Flanders Fields, which I just think is interesting. Everyone's connected in Canada, you know, like it's a small fucking town. Oh yeah. She was credited for bringing computers to the Turner campaign. 
Wow. Uh, So funny. (laughs) Well, I guess at the time it probably was. Obviously she like this, that was her shtick, right? Yeah. But that's cool. Should we move on to, to Ms. Mila? Yes. I'm ready for her. She's another favorite. Next we have Mila Mulroney, wife of 18th prime minister of Canada, Brian Mulroney. Uh, She's a more, certainly a more famous one, you know, probably a little more attracted to and comfortable in the spotlight than, than, than Jill Turner um, and took on a a bigger role in her husband's, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in his career um, than, than some of the other spouses of the prime minister. I think it's interesting though, that like our, our most famous First ladies happen to also be like the most beautiful. Like if you were to just literally list the ones that you knew off the top of your head, like it would have to be Mila Maroney and Margaret Trudeau. Like, and obviously so because she's the current one, but like there is like, there's obviously a media fascination with the ones that are like the prettiest, you know? And I know it's a little harsh. Some people criticized her for trying to be a first lady in that, she had hired her own personal staff and had supposedly lavishly decorated the 24 Sussex. Um, the other thing was, of course, her lots was made about her spending habits, uh, lots in the tabloids about her shopping sprees. Um, she was known to have a lot of shoes and, uh, has been kind of had a kind of has a reputation for, you know, being a lavish spender. And I think that as a result of that, two things are true of her at once. Like I think at the time she was celebrated for being, um, kind of like the perfect political wife and Brian's secret weapon. Right. But on the flip side of things, I, or I guess, and because of that, and she was those things because she was kind of like this perfect submissive, like wife, not submissive, maybe is the wrong word, but like submissive to his career, submissive to his, um, ambitions and, and very much like part of the team, you know, part of the, the Brian Maroon team. And she was like celebrated for that. But I think on the flip side of things, I watched, um, an interview with this like really horrible man who sat there and literally said to her in the first like 30 seconds of the interview, like, I can't believe that I'm speaking with the prime minister's wife about politics. Like, why couldn't we have gotten him on the program? And like, she just fucking takes it. Like, and I'm just like, and over the course of the interview, like she over like time and time again, proves herself to be like extremely knowledgeable, um, and really well-spoken and quite charming. And I just think like, it's funny how she was both celebrated and completely like, um, disregarded for being, um, what she was. And I think it's, a, it's very unfair. And she, she obviously did a great job and she really helped, you know, Brian rise to success. And yeah, I think she is kind of an example of how you just, how women are kind of caught in the middle and just can't win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, she was a housewife, which I think really, appealed to a lot of Canadian women at the time, uh, but she was criticized by prominent feminist feminists such as, uh, you know, Sheila Copps. <laughs> um, and, but she was really well liked by the public, had really high approvals. They famously had to give out campaign buttons with both her and 
uh, Brian's face on them. And, you know, people in the campaign certainly recognized that, that Mila was going to get votes for them. You know, again, she was a real asset to the campaign and to her husband. Um, and again, even as somebody who doesn't, maybe doesn't have the academic accolades that, that, you know, Jill or, or Maureen do, um, but, but certainly was able to, or, or seems like was able to be a really help um, in her husband's political career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how I think like the Canadian public want to see certain things reflected in their first lady, you know, like as the feminist movement, you know, gained traction, I think that there were also women who felt maybe left behind who, who want, who liked being a spouse, who liked being a mother, who felt like a little lost in that narrative. And I think that her presence in politics, I think was validating for a lot of Canadian women and, and felt like they, they resonated with her, you know, like she was a young mother of four, notably the mother of Ben Mulroney who till recently was on our TVs every morning. What's he doing now? He's apparently fulfilling his lifelong dream of starting a production company for unscripted shows, which I don't know what that means. Unscripted shows? Yeah, either. I don't know if that means like documentaries or reality shows. I'm not sure. Maybe he's going to bring back Canadian Idol. One can only hope. One can only hope. I think it's interesting. And she's another one who's like quite young now and is alive and kicking, you know? Next, we have uh, Aline Chrétien, the wife of Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. Okay, and I have to tell you, she's my favorite. Your this is favorite? A, yes, it was a very unexpected... Because she's a pianist? No, but that's also a bonus. Bonus fun fact. But she was someone I wasn't expecting to fall in love with, but I did, and I'm obsessed with her. And... um her relationship with Jean and just everything about her. And I'll get into it. Really? Okay. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay. So I'm just going to break down for you all the reasons why I love, I love her. And it really starts and ends with like her deep love of and relationship with Jean Chrétien. Like they're just so obviously like madly in love. Um, throughout their tenure. It's so beautiful. I was literally watching YouTube videos cause she oh, died. Well, she, yeah. she died quite recently. <laughs> oh. You haven't seen the YouTube videos. You don't know. You don't understand until you watch them. And I'm going to insert some clips. This was the hardest part to be separated from Jean and uh, raising the kids. It's nice for me. It was the best time of my life that 10 year last year I was always with Jean. So she died quite recently. So there was a, there's a plethora of like, you know, CBC news montages of, you know, their time in office and their relationship. She was, you know, even at the time known for being, um, you know, Jean Chrétien's most celebrated political, um, advisor. She advised him on everything. And I, he would often like let her sit into meetings and talk to her about everything that she was, that he was going through. And at the end of his tenure, he actually stood up in the house of commons and thanks his wife. It's it's so sweet. (laughs) At the end, I guess she was interviewed and she goes, (laughs) of course, he talks about me all the time. And I keep telling him, stop talking about me. Or I know he appreciates what I do, but uh, he told it on TV and uh, I was really uh, surprised, but pleased at the same time. Because yeah, she famously like really doesn't like 
the limelight and you can tell like at every interview, she's like very earnest. She comes across like she's, she's actually very charming. And of course she has a thick French accent as, as Jean did. Um, and does. And, um, and so it's, it's just so sweet. And, um, he refers to her as the, the rock of Gibraltar in his life. Yeah. They were married ultimately for, um, 63 years, which is so lovely. Um, their eldest daughter married a Demeray. So, you know, it, it should indicate very strongly to you, the circle, the political circles that they ran in. And, a very fun story um, was the time that she saved Jean Chrétien's life. There was an intruder. Yeah. 24 Sussex. There was an intruder. And I guess he was at the other end of the hall and she very calmly went into the bedroom, locked both the doors and grabbed an Inuit knife that had been given to them as a gift. She's a, she's a woman of who knows how to use her resources and she immediately called the police and all the while Jean Chrétien was sound asleep. So, you know, if not for her, something horrible could have happened there. And she kind of dealt with the situation before she even woke him up. Yeah. Like she, it was she like she locked the door herself and grabbed the knife. And then she was like, okay, Jean, let's get up. <laughs> There's someone here. Um, I, I really like that. Like, I think with a lot of political wives, it's, it's revealed not in the autobiography, in in biographies, in um, in articles and quotes from people in the inner circle. How important, just how important the wife actually was. But I don't think it's quite as common that political men so openly give so much credit to their wives the way that Jean Chrétien does. Like he says, like he states repeatedly that she is his most important advisor. Like he says this, he says this all the time. And I I think it's really like, it's earnest, it's earnest. And, um, you know, people who have written about the couple certainly agree that, that she is one of the most, she at the time was one of the most powerful politicians in Canada. Um, McLean's magazine said in 1996, uh, listing her first of among his most influential advisors, never mind calling her the power behind the throne. She shares the seat of power. Um, and you know, he's, he's made jokes like he's quite, he's was known to be quite funny and he made a lot of jokes with the press and stuff, but he, like he was always making jokes that, um, you know, like we don't know when the next election is, we got to ask Aline he jokes that, you know, she's actually pulling the strings of the prime minister. And uh, it's really beautiful. I think to see them, I don't know, they just seem like such a team. And I, yeah. And I think it also like takes a very secure man to be comfortable giving his wife the, all the credit, you know? And I think for me, their relationship is so aspirational and like genuine because they just seem to be like true equals that there's no, like there's no, you know, power struggle. It's like whatever he's doing, she's doing. Um, she dropped out of school quite young. They were married very young. They met very young together a long time, you know? And, and I think, I think that this was kind of like my point before is just that like, you don't have, you don't have to be the greatest political mind to have meaningful insight. Yeah. I just think I just really love them. And I'm going to put some clips in so that everybody else can see how cute they are. Because I just like, I, when he gave his speech in the house of Commons, and she was like sitting there almost in tears, like just 
trying so hard to hide the tears because she's so like private. You can tell that she's so private and she doesn't want to share this moment with like the public, but how much she appreciated it. I don't know. I just, maybe I just really relate to her in some way. I'm I'm like, I don't know. And I just, I was really, really moved. And I was like genuinely crying. (laughs) So I was watching these videos. I was so obsessed with them and I don't, I had never been obsessed with them before. So I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but she's my favorite. I just like, I fell in love with her. I think another example of where she makes you like him more. Totally. Totally. Because he's just, I don't know, some guy without her. I don't know. But because he cares about her so much and is such a devoted husband and wife, um, husband, husband and father, I meant to say it we think that we can glean something about his personality in that he's this devoted, kind man, which is probably true, but we don't know that to be true. You know, um, we like him more because we think that he's those things. And because we think those things, we think he's a certain type of person, which in all likelihood he very probably is. And I have a lot more respect for him than I did because of how much he loves his wife, which does he deserve that respect? I don't know. But I have it for him now. You weren't expecting me to come in with no, this hot take. I was not expecting yeah. this. Okay. Next we have Ms. Martin, Sheila Martin, not Supreme Court Justice Sheila Martin, another Sheila Martin, um, the spouse of Prime Minister Paul Martin. And I feel like she's the forgotten first lady of recent memory. Not in a mean way, I, but it's... I forgot about her. Yeah, like, she's just... She's very... Not that she's necessarily forgettable. Like, I don't think that she necessarily, like, you know, was striving to be remembered. Um, but just not a lot to say about her, you know? I don't think she really wanted the spotlight. And she has apparently didn't really have a lot of aspirations for it with respect to her husband's office. Um, oh, yes, I did read this too. Yeah. And I think, I think it all, I think she's probably maybe happy being a little bit forgettable in all of it. And I don't even know if it's fair to say she's forgettable. I just don't think that we know her because she doesn't really seem to want to be known. And okay, I think fair. we were, have to respect that. And maybe it's a good time to talk about, you know, how fair it is that you marry someone. And then all of a sudden there you are. On True. The McLean's, you know, um, and, and there are some, political wives who really like see it as their job and love it. And there are lots who don't and want nothing to do with it. And, um, there are many political husbands who have very, have little to no role in their, um, in their spouses, political careers. And I think that is fine. And they don't owe us anything. You know, Sheila Martin doesn't owe us to uh, inspire us with respect to, how supportive of a wife she is, or she doesn't owe it to her husband to be his closest advisor. Like she can do her own shit. seems like she was really interested in her work for literary charities who support Canadian writers. And that's Are you sure about that? <laughs> no. Um, and that's what she was up to. And you know what? I think that's great. No, a hundred percent. I feel like what my ambition here today and my secret agenda, although not so secret, is just to say that like it, that good first ladies come in all different shapes and sizes. 
and of all different backgrounds and ambitions, you know? And you can be. I don't think they owe it to us to be good, you know? No, but that's what I mean. Like sometimes being good means a little bit being forgettable. Like that's, that's part of it. Like I, I think that, I think it's fair to say good. And when I say good, I mean not bad, you know? And I just think, you know, I, I I think, you know, there's a reason why we have, I don't know, the doctrine of joint family venture in this province. Because, like, we we recognize literally in law that, you know, no achievement for one spouse, where you have a spouse who is supportive to you, who takes care of, um, I don't know, some of your joint responsibilities, such as children, if you have them. Like that is always shared. So yeah, Sheila Martin, you know, whether or not she wanted to be involved, she has earned some credit in, in Paul Martin's political career, you know, by being a supportive, uh, if, if she did that and maybe, you know, I don't know, like, I don't know what their division of labor is and it's not my business, but you know, regardless of whether she was the fashion icon that we would have like wanted her to be, um, she she owns part of that success and she deserves some recognition for that, which Paul Martin does give her and, and credits her as a supporter and also an advisor. And um, and that's all I have to say on that. <laughs> I think next we go to Ms. Harper, um, Laureen Harper, the wife of Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And I don't know, I, I, I'm pretty interested in her because she's a biker woman. She rides I didn't know that you were interested in biker women. I'm not, you know, okay. I, Fair listen, enough. I like, I like women who misbehave. You know what I mean? Okay, sure. Um, the basis of Margaret Trudeau's appeal. Exactly. So I like that about her, um, she it's funny because up. I actually think that my obsession with the Cretchens is people who behave, people who take pride in the job yeah, that they're doing. A military family. Yeah. Like I like, I like people who follow the rules. Anyway, my point was, I just think it's funny that you like the women who misbehave and I like the women who behave. Another one who is credited as being, uh, her husband's secret weapon. Again, she softens him up, but she's, you know, <sighs> it's hard to believe compared to the overwhelming charm of Stephen Harper, but um, you know, <laughs> she's kind of credited as being warm and having like down home charm. She's, she grew up in um, Turner Valley, Alberta, the daughter of rancher. She's, you know, credited as having maybe like, a, like having more like rural sensibilities and being able to, to relate to people like that. You know, she's definitely like someone who's not afraid to get dirty. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Which is, you know, kind of a, I think a contrast to the sometimes elusive inscrutable man. That is uh, Mr. Harper. (laughs) Definitely not, but I see where you're going with this, but I don't know. She, I, I do see how you can, like, she seems to be, yeah. Someone who appeals to the people more. She's definitely credited as that and she has been very involved um you know as an advocate for him and in his campaigns she was on very president she's been very present in the campaigns and was like i was just gonna say she was on um during the flooding 
um, in Alberta, I think she was on, you know, the breakfast television kind of like talking about how to actually (laughs) prep for a flood. You know, she gets very specific about what you have to do. Like there's absolutely no doubt that after the interview, she's going back to like get her rain boots on and go help with the flood relief. Like, in fact, she shows up to her interview wearing like a hoodie, like she's really committed to the image. Um, but it's, it's, it does come across very earnest like I ha- and genuine. I have to give it to her. Like that is really who she is and what she's about. And I think that that as a, pol- um, you know, a conservative first lady, especially like, and in, in that era of conservatism, like it's kind of the perfect messaging that you would ever want a first lady to have, like just being this super relatable um, woman who's like ready to go, you know? And power, yeah, power to her. Like she, she talks about the mud in the interview. And like, I just can't imagine some of the other first ladies, you know, talking about that, you know, let's move on to our first, sorry, to our last and our current Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. Great. We've arrived at the last one. We've, we've, we've finally got here. Um, So Sophie Trudeau, sorry, Sophie Gregoire is formerly a TV host. She she did a lot of things. She's had done tons of stuff. She in her early career she worked in advertising and then PR. Um, she went to radio and TV school, and she felt like that was her calling. She found her calling, like a lot of um, other spouses of the prime minister. She's very involved in charity work and public speaking. She's taken a real interest in women's and children's issues. You know, she was controversial, controversially a WE ambassador for WE charity. She's kind of, she's gotten herself a reputation as a fashion icon. Has she, Katie? She has. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, she, she definitely, um, she definitely has donned some very, very nice outfits and she does a lot to promote, um, Canadian designers. I like credit where it's due. So the thing that I really want to talk about with Sophie Trudeau is, well, I have, I have a couple of bones to pick with her. I just feel like you have really strong feelings. I have a lot of strong feelings and I didn't honestly, I mean, I guess I should say like, I'm not the biggest fan of the, the Trudeau couple. So let's just throw my bias out there. No, what are you Um, talking about? Um, you're shocked. Katie's shocked. But, um, so, you know, just, you know, take it in with a pinch of salt. I should say that. But I found this incredibly interesting article called When Justin Met Sophie. And it is truly the weirdest article I have read in my entire life. Okay. This was 2005. So maybe times were different, but literally the, like the subline is Behind the scenes, as a Canadian prince marries his princess. Like, what? Okay, so obviously, if you don't know, she was childhood friends with Justin Trudeau's brother, Michael. Um, They went to school together. They were friendly in their childhood. And then they reconnected. And so, after the gala, Gregoire emailed him several days later. He didn't respond. Apparently, he was quite... He was quite social at the time, is what he said. And so, you know, she was unimpressed. Social at the time. Yeah, you know what that means, okay? That was the... Oh, sorry. 
He was in a very socially active phase at the time. That's what the article calls it, okay? I think we can all, we all know what that means. I don't want to talk about how Justin Trudeau's a fuckboy. No, that's not. not interested Katie, in that. Katie, we didn't need to go there. Um, no, okay, so. Not. So anyway, so socially active. That's, that, that was the 2005 way to say it, okay? Mm. Um, so, you know, Greg was not very impressed with him. Because, uh, you know, he didn't respond, which is, you know, it's not nice. I agree with her. Not nice. I love so, hearing people, like, emailing each other. I know. It's hilarious, right? It's a real blast from past. And so I guess at the end of that summer, they bumped into each other on the street. And Gregoire just said, bumped. hello. Where? Bumped. I don't know. They're in Montreal. Like, oh. yeah, I don't know. Montreal. They're they're Montreal elite. Montreal elite just bump into each other. And she said hello and kept walking, but Trudeau chased her down. I want us to get together and go for dinner. And apparently she was with a friend and she was playing it cool. And the friend like couldn't believe why she was playing it cool. Obviously they went to, uh, to dinner. Now let me tell you about their first date. She shot her shot and he didn't respond. Yeah. Well, she went to dinner. She caved pretty fast. Cool girl. So, um, so this is, this is funny though. This article is just like, so it's like so hyperbolous. Um, so they went to their first date and the author notes that it was at an Afghan restaurant. Okay. And then after their romantic dinner, they went to a dingy karaoke bar. What did they sing in a private booth? Elton John and the Beatles. That is exactly what you would expect from Justin Trudeau. Apparently, he said, Sophie, Sophie, I never do this. What? Like, why is that in the article? Um, anyway. What? I don't know. Who knows? Um, <laughs> probably. Seems not. That seems like the least believable part of this article, quite frankly. Um, so then that night, the couple ended up back at Justin's apartment where they sat on the couch and talked for hours. Oh, and, oh, and it gets worse. And then, as Oprah would call it, the aha moment. I looked at her, says Trudeau, and I just felt this strength and peace come over me. Strength and and peace? Anyway. Is this translated? I don't know. Maybe. That would explain. That would help explain some of the discrepancies. But then he, oh my God, it gets worse. It gets worse, Katie. And then he says, I've been waiting for you all my life. You're it. And then he announced to her that he they would be spending the rest of their lives together. On the first date? This is the first date, Katie. This is the first date. Are you sure and this is real? I, th- I thought it was. Anyways, um, and then and then how does she respond? They both both burst into tears because they're both such sensitive souls. Okay? Holy shit. Wasn't that a wild ride? That's all on the first date. That was the first I date. I can so see him being that guy though. I know it's it is believable. Honestly, like there's, I believe it. The part I don't believe is that he was like never does karaoke. That's the least believable part of that story. Anyways, that's all I have on that. Well, thank you for that detour. <laughs> that was worth it. <laughs> that was well worth it. I did enjoy it. Um, more on Sophie herself. I think. Can we talk about when she sang "Smile Back at Me"? When did she sing "Smile Back at Me"? <laughs> 2016. Have you seen the video footage? No. Oh my god, it's so fucking funny. Um, so she just it's 
Okay, so the critics said that they were... You're the critics. <laughs> no, no, no. I have to give you... I, I. It doesn't matter what I thought. It matters what the news reporters said. People called it out of pitch, and it cast serious doubt upon her musical judgment. However, people did know that her voice was surprisingly strong. <laughs> so basically she she wrote this song for her daughter and she's she wrote the song. She wrote the song. She composed this song. And she's singing it at the end of a speech in honor of Martin Luther King, okay? Which is just doesn't make any sense. And it's called Smile Back at Me and she doesn't sing it with any accompaniment. You know, she just sings it a cappella. And the problem is is that it, it it she changes the key a couple times just sporadically and she does that like French thing where she's like oh, oh yeah multiple times. I think you're going to get canceled for what you just said. What did I just say? That French thing of like... <laughs> <laughs> no, the French know what I'm talking about. And they're what? into it. It's the thing that's made Celine Dion a worldwide pop sensation. It's not a criticism against the way the French people sing. Let me be clear. If you do it well, you're Celine Dion. If you do it poorly, you're Sophie Trudeau. With all the love that I feel When you smile when you smile back at me, I see it from the cone of your eye. It's just also like so weird. It's like you're giving a speech. Like, why are you singing at the end? Like, you didn't need to do that. There's nothing worse than when somebody breaks out into song and you have to just sit there. <laughs> like, it's so cringe no, Tell me, what are we supposed to do when someone breaks out into song? Because I was not given the manual. And then there was also that time that she did yoga on stage. That was also weird. When did she do yoga on stage? I, I think it was like some kind of press dinner and her and Justin have this like a skit situation, but it's, it's just, it's so weird and it's very jarring. And then she's like in this gorgeous ball gown and she does yoga. And I mean, the in yoga that she does. Gown? Yeah. Like it's, it's impressive. I'll give her that, but it's still weird. The context of it's, it's like, you're at a nice dinner. Why are you doing yoga? You know? Is and they like the instructor. Yeah, I think she's qualified. It's just like one of those things where I just feel like that particular video where they're doing yoga as well just really highlights a kind of how out of touch they are. You know, like they just seem to be a little bit out of sync with reality. <laughs> and then of course, like she got in trouble on like Women's International um Women's Women's International Day. International Women's Day. I got there. Um because she posted a picture with um Justin and was like, today, hold the hand of a man that supports you. And everyone was kind of like, dude, we only get one day for women's day. Hold like, why are we celebrating? Yeah. It's like, why are we celebrating men today? Like, this is kind of like, you're missing the point. Um, so she got in trouble for that. And I can't remember if she took it down or not, but anyway, that was, you know what I mean? It's just like things like that, that it's like, she's clearly just like a little like out of touch. Also not that interesting but kind of was like, do you remember when she, like she got COVID on like in March, like she was like the first Canadian to get COVID, like not actually, but you know what I mean? Like when she got COVID, it was like, whoa, Sophie has COVID. Like it was so crazy. 
Okay, I want to wrap this up by talking about um, a scandal in 2016 that I think, you know, has some has some of the bigger themes that we're talking about in this episode. Um, This debate over the this debate about, you know, whether the spouse of the prime minister should have a more official role in the Canadian in Canadian government, you know, was was renewed in 2016 when Sophie Gregoire requested more staff. Uh, She said that she felt overwhelmed by the demands in her time and needed more help to keep up requests from charities and to support her causes. You know, she said she gets lots of letters for people asking for her help and has to make difficult choices, but how to spend her resources. Um, She has only apparently at the time only has one assistant to help, which is not enough um, for the demands on her time. And the prime minister's office says that it would said that it would consider her request, but you know, the fact that she made this request really hit a nerve with a lot of Canadians and there was quite a backlash. Um, and she kind of got some personal attacks because Canadians were, were unhappy at the prospect of their, you know, their money, their tax dollars going towards, you know, staff for, an unelected person um, without a clear role, who's not part of the government. Um, and, and I think it's a, it's a fair, it's a fair question, but given, you know, the, the actual requirements, you know, despite what the actual official role may be, you know, the practical role of the spouse, the prime minister is a real one. That's important that that's taxing and a lot of work. And, you know, shouldn't we just make it official? Like they're doing it anyway, why don't we legitimize it? And then I guess on the flip side, okay, fine. We legitimize it. We make it an official title. Like how much does that really change anyone's lives? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I certainly think that like where people are asking for help, they should not be um, pushed aside. I wonder if like the gender roles were reversed, if it was like, you know, if it was a man who was asking for the extra help, like if it would be criticized in this way, because I do like, I do see that people are like, you know, they already have two nannies. And I think that, you know, for a regular Canadian, who's, who's a single mom, you know, who's struggling on their own, you see how they can look at this, her request for additional help and think like, well, I don't get additional help and I certainly don't want to pay for your additional help. And I'm very sympathetic to that uh, perspective. But I think on, on the flip side of that, I agree with you that like, I think that we're undervaluing the work that women do by not recognizing this as an official role. And we're just saying that this is an expectation that we have of the spouse of the prime minister without actually giving them the resources to do it. And I think that that is very similar to how we treat, you know, stay at home moms in this country. And I think that potentially changing, um, the way that we treat the spouse of the prime minister might give the rest of Canada a roadmap of how spouses should be treated. And I think that as we, if, and hopefully as we see more spouses of the prime minister that are men, um, maybe we'll start to see more legitimacy for that role and more resources allocated to. And I'd be interested to see, uh, if that's the case, should we ever have a male spouse of the prime minister, which we've yeah. had, we'd love to see one. Okay, cool. So final, final thoughts on our female, on these wonderful ladies that we've discussed and the role at large. This was a pleasure to research. There are so many interesting 
interesting ladies behind the political men of this great country. Um, and tweet at us, DM us, email us. Who's your favorite Canadian first lady? Are we un-Canadian for even using the term? Send us your love and hate mail to our email. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to keep up with us in between episodes, you can follow us at Just Watch Me Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Send us your thoughts and feelings about the show at JustWatchMePodcast at gmail.com. And it really helps us if you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. See you next week. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.